This is Advisor Adventures, the podcast of Advisory Board Chair, who specialise in all things advisory boards, assessing, establishing, managing, mentoring and chairing high-performance professional advisory boards. Today's guest is Mike Christensen. Mike spent 25 years firstly in banking and finance and then in large commercial real estate fund management businesses responsible for capital procurement and risk management. And he uses this experience as a consultant, advisory board member and company director. In this podcast, he talks about the current environment for raising capital and how it has been impacted by COVID-19. He also explains what things will happen to funding markets over the next two years. And finally, whether or not it's a good time to raise capital. Here he is with your host, Corinne Butler. Hi, it's Corinne Butler from Advisor Adventures and season two is about COVID operations. Today, I'd really like to welcome Mike Christensen. Welcome, Mike. Thanks, Corinne. Good to be here. Thanks for joining us. So, Mike, tell us a little bit about yourself, please. Yeah, sure, Corinne. I've been um, sort of uh, a lot of my career in banking and finance and then working for commercial real estate over 25 years. And particularly in that commercial real estate space, my job was to procure capital for large commercial real estate companies. Um, and uh, I finished there and then um, I kind of used that skill set as an advisor, a company director, um, a consultant. And the last three and a half years, I've also been doing um, SME business consulting. So I've got a, kind of got a unique blend of, of finance and risk skills as well as sort of commercial acumen and, and um, consultancy. So really excited to have you here today. So Mike, today you're going to talk to us about funding markets. So probably the first question that we're all wondering is that what is the current environment for raising capital? Yeah, look, good, good question, Corinne. And it's fair to say that the market is going through a bit of a correction. Um, you know, funding markets are, are highly linked to the economic cycle. Uh, and that probably shouldn't come to most people as a shock. Essentially, investors looking to invest their capital uh, are risk and price sensitive. Uh, so you might have heard the term risk off and risk on, um, you know, and risk off kind of refers to a situation where there's a bit of a flight to preservation of capital. And that's when the market really gets quite uncertain and investors uh, find it a little bit more difficult to do that discovery um, between price and risk. Uh, and, and therefore are sort of looking to more preserve their investment value. The other sort of things that we see that's very characteristic of that is um, uh, investors um, will quite often have po- pockets of available capital on an opportunistic basis. So apart from that preservation of capital, we'll also see um, corrections in funding cycles as an opportunity to get some good value with investments. So what we saw as this crisis started to unfold was companies that were listed on the Australian Stock Exchange doing really large capital raisings. So we saw National Australia Bank raise $4.2 billion, Ramsey Healthcare raised $1.5, really large licks of capital. And that's what I call the hoovering of capital impact. So not quite the the hoovering of, of toilet paper impact that we saw with consumers, Um, But it's sort of a similar mentality in the sense that they see the commodities being scarce. So they see capital as being scarce. 
And what they're trying to essentially do is either shore up their balance sheet and give themselves some, some balance sheet repair, or they're trying to get some spare capacity, perhaps for later on when there's some acquisition opportunities or there's some really good um, uh, avenues within the market to expand and grow. So there's a bit of, bit of a rush to beat the queue because, you know, when capital starts to become scarcer, you might get yourself into a position where capital is no longer, longer available at all. So unlike the toilet paper analogy, for a company, you know, no liquidity means insolvency. So it is life or death for a company. Um, the other things that you see um, in a funding sense is that you see more stringent terms and conditions. Uh, you see slower approval times. Um, and we also see banks really preferring their existing client set and supporting their existing client set rather than going out and doing new business lending. Uh, and if they are doing new business lending, it's really focused on sort of more established businesses that have got really strong security profiles. So we're seeing all of that at the moment, Mike. So what should businesses be doing? Yeah, so, so in this environment, I think it's important to remember that it is a cycle. In, in, in the GFC, we saw this as well. We saw a lot of organisations going out and raising capital ahead of time and getting set. Um, and then markets eventually normalising. However, those timeframes can be, you know, three or four years. In, in the GFC, we had the impact in 2007, 2008. We didn't see um, the market really stabilising until 11, 12. So that's, that's a long period of time. Um, and so what we also need to be aware of as well is um, what can help smooth that cycle and, and help with funding markets coming back is the level of support that's being received. So in the GFC, it was a, a coordinated global response around lowering interest rates. We don't have that this time round. But what we have had is a coordinated fiscal response. So we've seen a lot by way of government package support. And we've also seen a lot of localised support as well. So we've seen the banks actually pulling together and agreeing to restructuring packages, you know, deferring principal interest repayments, extending credit lines, giving covenant waivers, those sorts of things. So what we need to be mindful of is some of that support is the time's running out on that. So things like JobKeeper has a defined deadline. Um, the, the bank moratoriums have a, a limit to them. Uh, and there is some talk of some of that being extended and, and not being a hard cliff, but the reality of it is, is as it's withdrawn and pulled back on, there will be increasing pressure on the supply of capital. So, you know, some of that will be able to be absorbed by the existing bank system. Some of that will be absorbed by what we call the non-bank system. So where you've got private equity or institutional investment, um, or family offices um, that have pockets of money. Uh, and some of that just will be as a result of businesses having to wind down and not gain access to liquidity at all. So it might be in a situation where competitors are actually buying those businesses out. So, Mike, how do you then see that playing out over the short, medium and longer term? So what do you think happens in September if JobKeeper ends? And then what happens over the next 12 to 24 months? Yeah, so, so really, um, I think what that means for businesses, if they want to get themselves set for capital, 
um, there's a few things that, that they really need to uh, have at the forefront of their mind. Uh, as, as I said before, it's taking longer for capital to get approved and discharged. So immediately what that says to you is that you need to allow a longer runway. So if you are wanting to get some working capital or if you're in a position where you're looking at acquisition related capital, whatever it might be, preparation is a really big key to it. And it's also compounded by the fact that, as I said, in this environment where it's a risk off environment and investors are struggling to get a little bit more clarity around what is value and, and trying to navigate their way, their way through uncertainty, they're going to require a lot more information than what they have done previously. So what does a lot more information mean? A lot more information means they're gonna be a lot more granular on the financials. So they're going to expect detailed modeling. They're going to expect crunching the numbers so that the ratios, the key ratios they're looking for that give them some sort of certainty about the viability of the business can be stress tested. So they're going to be looking at scenario analysis. They're going to be looking at um, over that period of time, you're talking about career in that 12, 24, even 36 month period, what could go wrong and how is that likely to impact on the business? So what does a business do now to, to do that, to stress test, to get the scenarios? Because this, this wouldn't be usual for a lot of businesses. Where would they start? Okay, so the, the first place is to have access to a good model. And that's generally what we would call a, a three-way model. So a model that, that has balance sheet in there, that has your P&L in there and has cash flow in there and is fully integrated so that um, you change one element of that part of the model and it reflects in other parts of, of the model as well. Um, so having that um, being a very robust model that is in a sense unbreakable so that you don't have hard coding in there and um, uh, you know, it stands the test of um, being able to run a few scenarios on it and, and doesn't break is a good starting point. And then what next? Okay, then, then there's a few other things that are really important through this. Um, the other component is it won't just be financial information the banks will be after, they'll be after non-financial information as well. So that can be some due diligence around your um, revenue contracts, your supplier contracts, uh, your key staff um, uh, employment contracts. So having that information available in a central spot, usually you know what's called a, um, a due diligence folder, um, so it's readily accessible. Uh, the more that you can handhold or spoon feed the banks through this process, the more likely they're to be engaged in it and the more likely you are to fast track their decision making process. So the opposite would be to think about um, if, you, if you're not organised, if you're not prepared, if you don't have the information succinctly, if it's not all easily, easy to wade through and decipher, then you're going to find that the, the process is a lot harder. So Mike, do you think it's a good time now to raise capital? Look, I think when it comes to capital, you, you're driven by the business requirements. So um, the first question is, do you need capital? So that's where the modeling comes in and that's where it's really important to understand your working capital cycle in an environment where um, 
you know, it is tough out there and people are paying later. Uh, you're getting those sorts of impacts on the supply chain. Um, being very transparent and aware about your working capital cycle. Um, you know, the lags between when you receive money in and when you pay money out. So that's the first thing is do you need capital either for to just, just to manage the strain of increased um, working capital cycles or for other reasons, for stock supply, whatever it might be, do you need it? And then whether it's a good time or not is kind of irrelevant. You just need to be aware of what the funding cycle is like and what you need to do um, you know, relative to that funding cycle. So as I said, when cycles correct and there's a scarcity of funding, you just need extra preparation, extra time, more information, and you really rely on your relationship with your bank. So um, that's probably not something that you can necessarily change overnight, but it's a good sense of awareness going through the cycles is if you nurture relationships with your capital providers, whether that be a bank and a debt provider or whether that be uh, an equity holder, it's about the rhythm and the frequency that you communicate with those investors and keep them in the loop and have that sort of relationship where hopefully there's no surprises and they'll be very understanding of the business managing itself through, through different business cycles. So Mike, is there anything that we should be do, doing differently at the moment? Well, I, th I think it, it then comes back to those principles, but on steroids. So um, I guess this is where business discipline really comes into its fold. Um, the more transparency you've got over your numbers. So again, that's just not financial numbers. That's your operating metrics as well. Um, you know, the more rigor you've got around that, the more, more ability you've got to be able to stress test that. Um, going into the engagement with your capital provider, being very well prepared. Um, they're all things that will, will help, you know, that, that are different in, in the sense that in good times, you know, banks may write you a check relatively, you know, easily and relatively quickly. In tougher times, you've got to work a bit harder at it. So Mike, are there any tips or tricks that, that you'd like us to know and the listeners to know? Um, yeah, I, th I think it's about the things that we've talked about. So um, the, the other thing too that we haven't talked about is um, there are a myriad of capital providers out there. So in that preparation phase, um, probably goes without saying, but really understanding your debt equity mix and the considerations around that. What are the pros and cons of debt versus equity? Because they're quite big impacts. If you've never had... Um, a silent investor or even a, a, a conscious investor in your capital structure before, that's quite a big change for you as a business owner. If you've only ever had your bank lending you money and all of a sudden you've got a factoring company or you've got someone else lending you money, again, that's a big consideration as well. So just understand your debt equity mix, understand the differences between the two, understand the different providers of capital out there. As I said, some of them will be quite opportunistic and that will be reflected in the pricing structures they're looking for and perhaps even the incentives that they're looking for as well. Would that be an incentive kicker by changing from being a debt investor to an equity investor or getting some sort of performance hurdle at the end of their investment? These are all things that it's really important to work through before you go into the fundraising process. 
So probably not unique to whether it's a, a good funding market or not, but still it's just a heightened sense of being aware of those considerations and having those worked out well and truly before you go into the fundraising cycle. So Mike, anything else that you'd like our listeners to know? No, I, th I think we've pretty much covered it, Corinne. Okay, so we've, we've focused on um, risk on versus risk off, the preservation of capital, that there are definitely investment opportunities at the moment, that there's different cycles. Um, we talked a little bit about, um, the, is this a good environment for raising capital? Should we raise it now? What's going to happen over the next 12 to 24 months? And then some really good tips and tricks for us at the end. So Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. Pleasure, Corinne. Join the Advisory Board Chair community and the conversation at Facebook at Advisory Board Chair and on LinkedIn. Advisor Adventures is the podcast of the Advisory Board Chair. Advisoryboardchair.com.au. This is a Cahoots Radio production edited by me, Sky Manson, and hosted by Corinne Butler. Let us know your favourite news stories for the week on email at corinne, C-O-R-I-N-N-E, at advisoryboardchair.com.au. And thanks for listening to Advisor Adventures. <laughs>